0: Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. There's a good chance that a baseball or softball game is going on somewhere today in Native America. It's a sport that attracts a lot of Native athletes. Sometimes those Little League high school or reservation games can lead to something more than just fun and recreation. Today we'll hear about Native players making it to their college team and even the major leagues. Tonight a Native pitcher is in the All Star game. We celebrate the baseball and softball diamond coming up right after the news.
1: This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The Inuit Circumpolar Council will hold its General Assembly meeting this week. The non-governmental organization represents more than 180,000 Inuit people across the Arctic. As Emily Schwing reports, ICC last met in Alaska in 2018.
2: ICC members from Alaska, Greenland, Northern Canada, and Chukotka in Russia meet every four years. Since their last meeting, the ICC has gained provisional status within the International Maritime Organization, or IMO. It's a United Nations agency that sets international maritime law. Daily Sambo-Duro is the current ICC chair. She says the new status is a first
1: for an indigenous organization. With the changing conditions across the Arctic Ocean, uh, we felt it was necessary to gain status or consultative status within the IMO as an indigenous people's organization to really advance our autonomous or independent voice within the IMO.
2: ICC has also become the first indigenous people's organization to gain observer status within the UN's
1: intergovernmental panel on climate change. And this is huge in terms of the impacts of climate change uh, across our homelands and our traditional Territory, including the, the coastal seas and sea ice.
2: Ahead of this week's meeting, the ICC released new standards aimed at scientists, researchers, and policymakers. The new protocols lay out expectations from ICC members on how best to engage in work that takes place on Inuit homelands
1: across the Arctic. For National Native News,
2: I'm Emily Schwing in Anchorage. Two
1: Minnesota tribes are suing the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency over the agency's approval of changes to the state's water quality standards. Last week, the Fond du Lac and Grand Portage Bands of Lake Superior Chippewa filed a Clean Water Act lawsuit in federal court seeking a reversal of the state's new water quality standards. At issue in the case is the approval of changes to industrial and agricultural standards. The tribes argue lowering standards for use. Use in those areas is likely to result in increased pollution downstream. They're concerned about water flow around and through reservation land and threats to land and water use for hunting, fishing, and gathering, especially for wild rice. They argue protections are being rolled back in violation of the Clean Water Act. According to the tribes, it's believed to be the first lawsuit by any tribe in the country against the EPA over approval of changes to state water quality standards. The St. Regis Mohawk Tribe in New York has been awarded more than $2 million in grants for suicide prevention. The federal funds will advance programs for community members at risk of suicide, for prevention, intervention, and post-prevention, and for a Zero Suicide Initiative project. Tribal and health officials say suicide and suicide attempts continue to have devastating impacts on the community. They say contributing factors include the opioid crisis and the COVID-19 pandemic. Health officials say they're also incorporating traditional practices which emphasize asking for help is a sign of strength. Navajo basketball player Rinaldi Bacenti is featured in the new web series Kids Meet. In any sport
3: you have to learn how to win, then you have to learn how to lose, but at the same time you still keep working hard
2: to accomplish your goal.
1: Bacenti is the first Native American to play in the Women's National Basketball Association. The series is a collaboration between Sesame Workshop and Hi-Ho Kids. Sesame Street Muppets join young people who lead one-on-one interviews with changemakers, highlighting an appreciation of diversity. The two-part series includes Samantha Lopez, a dancer who happens to be in a wheelchair. The episode with Bacenti was released Monday on YouTube. I'm Antonia Gonzalez.
0: National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.
4: With so many organizations trying to help military veterans, it can be hard to find the right information. So AARP brings together no-charge employment and fraud prevention resources, caregiving tools, discounts, and more at aarp.org veterans who support this show. The Institute of American Indian Arts presents the Virtual Holiday Marketplace now through the new year. A variety of items from the IAIA community are now available for purchase at iaia.edu marketplace who support this show.
0: Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Tonight is one of the major milestones of every Major League Baseball season. It's the start of the All-Star Game and a native pitcher, Ryan Helsley, is among those taking the field. Helsley is a right-handed reliever for the St. Louis Cardinals. He's been a big leaguer since 2019 and grew up playing baseball in Northeastern Oklahoma. And he's not the only native pitcher to gain notoriety. Charles Bender, a White Earth Ojibwe player from Minnesota, made history on the mound more than a century ago. We'll hear about his legacy a little later. And more recently, in 2020, Brandon Bailey, a citizen of the Chickasaw Nation, made his major league debut on the mound with the Houston Astros. We're going to talk with Brandon today. And we'll talk with a softball player about turning her passion for the game into a college career. We're talking about pitching, hitting, fielding, and running the bases today. And we want to hear from any baseball and softball fans out there listening. Tell us why these sports are important to you and your native community. Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us now from Phoenix, Arizona, is Brandon Bailey. He's a pitcher with the Cincinnati Reds organization. He's an enrolled citizen of the Chickasha Nation. Brandon, thanks for coming on the show today.
5: Hi, Sean, Uh, thank you for having me. It's truly an honor.
0: Brandon, it's great to have you here on the show. And you've spent some time pitching in the major leagues. That is such an amazing accomplishment that almost defies all odds when a person thinks about how many kids in the U.S. and even other countries dream of playing baseball at that level. What's it like to be one of the chosen few who actually gets to live that dream?
5: Uh, To be honest, the only word I can describe it would be surreal. Um, Ever since I was a little kid, uh, I had a bat and ball in my hand growing up in uh, Broomfield, Colorado. It's all I ever wanted to do. It's um, all I ever dreamed about. And for me to kind of look back on my path and journey to becoming a Major League Baseball player, I'm truly blessed for all of the support system that I have in my life, um, starting with my parents, Brad and Antoinette, and my little sister, Bree, and Um, all of my immediate family that was there for me from the time I was little, um, supporting me and my passion and, uh, encouraging me to do my very best and, uh, do everything that I could on the field to be the best version of myself that I could be as a baseball player, but then also making sure I stayed true to who I was as an individual off the field. And that's, uh, uh, older brother to my sister, uh, being a good son, being a good grandson and, uh, Also just saying uh, true to myself and my cultural heritage and my Native American background. And uh, yeah, just truly surreal.
0: Brandon, how old were you when you started playing baseball?
5: Uh, I was about two or three. Uh, My dad would take me to the recreational field that was about a couple blocks down the street from our house growing up, and he would just toss me the ball and uh, asked me who I wanted to imitate that day. Um, I was a hit, huge Colorado Rockies fan growing up. Uh, it was a few years after they had just been introduced as a new team in the major league. So back when they was the Blake Street Bombers of Andres Galarraga, Dante Bichette, Larry Walker, uh, et cetera. So I, as a little kid, I grew up idolizing those players and uh, would try and imitate their batting stance and their swing. And my dad would and me would play for hours upon end. Uh, just the two of us, but then uh, started playing t ball as soon as as soon as it was allowed around the age of like five five years old, and never looked back from there.
0: That's just amazing. I, I can remember some of those names, those old school Colorado Rockies players. I remember, I I still remember when that franchise actually started uh, back. I think it was the very early '90s. I'm showing my showing my age here, Brandon. As we mentioned uh, at the start of the show, Native Americans have a rich history in Major League Baseball, and are you proud to be a part of that legacy? Uh,
5: absolutely. Um, you know just being able to represent the Chickasaw Nation uh, and be able to play baseball at level is uh, truly an honor. but then also just to be able to represent um, all Native people and all indigenous people across America. Um, I understand that you know it's not only a small amount of people that get to play major League Baseball. But then it's probably an even smaller amount that um, have a native background. Um, So for me, just to be a really small uh, sliver and piece of that, uh, it's truly an honor. And um, hopefully I can get back to the major league soon and uh, be able to continue that and uh, be able to bring pride uh, to native people all the way across the country. From youth to um, our elders, Um, I want to represent us in the best way possible on and off the field.
0: Well, let's talk about your your journey back to the major leagues. And and I understand you have had some health setbacks. When did you last play professional baseball, Brandon, on the field?
5: Yeah, so my last uh, major league game, I think, was in um, August of that 2020 season before I got sent down uh, to play. And um, then it was shortly after the 2020 season, um, I found out I needed my second Tommy John reconstruction surgery um, on my elbow. So it's been uh, two years since I was able to play. Um, started my Tommy John rehab progression of like games uh, this year back in April. Played a few games in like the Rookie Ball League out here in Arizona and uh, unfortunately had a step back. I strained a muscle in my forearm, so I had to shut it down again. But we start throwing again this week, so hopefully we can get back. Uh, To competition here soon. Uh, It's looking like I might actually get an opportunity to go out and play uh, in the Dominican Republic in the Winter League uh, just to get a few reps um, in my system before uh, 2023 spring training starts.
0: Well, really sorry to hear about about those setbacks, but it sounds like you're making a strong recovery. And you mentioned Tommy John surgery. That is something common amongst baseball pitchers. And uh, a pitcher's arm has to really, really be taken care of. They're prone to injuries. Pitching careers can can end abruptly sometimes. So what exactly is that Tommy John surgery? What what does it actually entail?
5: Um, Yeah, so basically uh, there's a ligament in all of our elbows called the ulnar collateral ligament. And if there's any partial tear or um, significant damage to said ligament, uh, it's extremely hard uh, to throw anything overhand. um, And... Basically, when I was 17 years old back in 2012, uh, I had a complete tear of the UCL, and that required surgery, and so I wasn't able to pitch my senior year of high school, Um, but thankfully had a solid recovery and was able to go on and play college and professionally, and uh, about 10 years later, had a partial tear of the same ligament, Um, and um, unfortunately, it's with the partial tear or like a second tear, excuse me, uh, it takes a little bit longer uh, prior to the first surgery to recover. So it's just one of those things without that UCL uh, being intact and healthy, it's extremely hard to throw anything um, elite level velocities and uh, without it, it's extremely hard to pitch.
0: Well, tell us about your goals and at what point are you hoping to be back in the majors?
5: Yeah, so right now uh, timeline's looking like um, hopefully be ready for the Dominican Winter League, uh, which starts in mid-October. Um, that The season lasts a couple months. So the goal is to be able to pitch out there and log a few innings and just get back to uh, being comfortable pitching in games against elite-level competition. Um, once that concludes, hopefully uh, be ready for spring training 2023 and, uh, and compete for a big league spot. Um, on the roster. So uh, that's kind of where we're looking. And I'm very optimistic. I'm feeling confident about where I'm at in my rehab process. You know, I understand that Tommy Johnson is not cut and dry. There's no specific timeline. Uh, and everything kind of is off of how the elbow feels. And uh, right now I'm very good and ready to start throwing again. So hopefully we can uh, do for the 2023 season and never look back from here.
0: So spring 2023, that is the timeline for Brandon Bailey. And Brandon, we, we wish you all the best success going forward. And again, a speedy recovery. And, and thank you for coming on the show and, and making us proud. A big league player here on Native America Calling and, and telling us a little bit about his life history and his goals uh, playing baseball there at the highest level of the sport joining us now from los angeles california the site of tonight's all-star game are jason and sherry helsley they are ryan helsley's parents and our cherokee nation tribal members sherry i want to start off with you first i imagine you've got a whole lot going on today thank you both for taking the time to talk with us
6: yes
7: hey she had to step out actually she went downstairs with the boys so it's just me i i apologize for that but uh
0: no worries, Jason. No worries. Well, well, let me just first off congratulate you, Sherry, the entire family, with regard to your son Ryan's success. You must all be extremely proud.
7: Uh, yes, very much so. Like the other night, he after the game, he sent us a picture of an envelope, and, you know, it was, okay, like, what is it, what is it, you know? And he was like, oh, I'm busy, i to do arm care. And I was like, son, you've got to open that. So anyway, he opens it, you know, and there's the invitation for the All-Star game, and, you know, of course, the tears start flowing, you know, and I told him, I said, son, there's, there's more tears than words to explain the level of pride and how proud we are of you and your accomplishments, and like you said, they're just kind of like he alluded to earlier, you know, it's just surreal, and you just, you can't imagine that your kid has attained this level, and it's just there just aren't words. I mean, they really aren't. It's just, it's extremely exciting, and we're very, very proud of him. And just, it's just amazing, like I said, to come that far into where he's at now is just truly amazing. He's been blessed, truly, truly blessed.
0: Blessed is the word that Jason Helsley uses to describe his son Ryan's success. He's playing tonight in the Major League Baseball All Star Game in Los Angeles, California. And we've got him and his wife, Sherry, on the show. We are going to have to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to learn more about the Helsley family, their Cherokee heritage, and why the sport of baseball is so important to them. Folks, give us a call here. we got professional athletes on the show. We've got baseball enthusiasts, 1-800-996-2848. That's the number to call. Again, 1-800-996-2848. Give us a call now so we can be sure to get your comments on the air. We'll be back right after this short break. Ronald Reagan, AIDS, and Michael Jackson's thriller album are some of the major touchstones from the 1980s. For Native people, it was the decade of fishing rights struggles, the rise of gaming, and Pow Wow Highway. We continue our journey through the decades and the next Native America Calling.
4: Support by Indigenous Pact, a healthcare consulting company working to create health equity in Indian country. Indigenous Pact offers solutions to fit the needs of your tribe. Their team, experts in healthcare strategy, policy, and innovation, provides a one of a kind plan to solve the issues specific to your community. Indigenous Pact works to create three primary outcomes healing spaces, healthy citizens, and
0: sustainable economies. More information at indigenouspact.com. Thanks for tuning in to Native America Calling today. I'm Sean Spruce. We're inspired by tonight's Major League Baseball All-Star Game to talk about baseball and softball, two popular sports among Native athletes. Join our conversation, 1-800-996-2848, 1-800-99NATIVE. We're speaking now with Jason Helsley, father of Major League Baseball player Ryan Helsley, And Jason, you and your wife, Sherry, uh, you traveled from your home there in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. You're in L.A. now. Uh, What's going on in in your mind right now? It's just a few hours before the All-Star game starts.
7: It's pretty crazy and exciting. I said We've been busy ever since we got here, you know, going to all type of functions and trying to spend as much time as we can with Ryan. There's actually a red carpet walk here in about 25 minutes downstairs, so that'll be kind of exciting. His brothers, uh, his twin brother Kyle and his younger brother Caleb are going to walk with him on the red carpet. So that's truly, you know, a once-in-a-lifetime ordeal. Hopefully, you know, maybe more, but
1: you never know. Like I
7: said, it's hard to get to the major leagues, and it's even harder to be an All Star. So you just try to enjoy every second, and you know, just cherish every moment you can, and take a whole lot of pictures.
0: And how is Ryan feeling right now? Does he have any pregame rituals?
7: Uh, not really. I mean, just typical, you know, that pitchers do, you know, just getting out there and doing your stretching, doing your tossing, and just, you know, coming out of the bullpen, you just always got to stay ready and have that mindset that, you know, I've got to be ready as soon as the phone rings. And It's a little different from a starter, you know, that you know what day you're going to start. And you kind of have your routine you go through, but being a bullpen, you have to stay ready at the next ring of
0: the phone. Mm. Yeah, I would imagine you just got to kind of always be ready to go. You never know when you get that call to step in. And Jason, as a parent myself, and I'm thinking of all the other folks, parents listening on the show today. I, I think you know the question I think we all have is, like, like, what did you and Sherry do, and how did you instill? a drive for accomplishment with your children? Because I, I think um, as a parent, we, we're just kind of amazed at at how you can raise children to be so successful.
7: Yeah. And like I tell people, I said, you know, first of all, you know, the good boy has got to bless you with the ability to attain the athletic, um, I guess, status that he's in with the MLB. But also, then you have to have a good family network that instills, you know, the work ethic, the drive, the desire to, you know, set goals, attain them. And you have to work hard, you know. And that's what, you know, we've had so many people congratulating us, you know, over the last week or so. And, yes, it is it is our name on the back of his jersey, but there has been so many, so many coaches, teachers parents, grandparents, cousins, family, and friends that have all had a hand in Ryan's success and all of my boys' success. I mean, it, it truly takes a village to raise a well-rounded individual, you know, it just, it's not one person, you know, it's, and you hope everyone has that same it, work ethic and mindset, you know, that, hey, set your goal, whatever it is, it doesn't, The United States, CEO of a company, whatever, pro athlete, set it and work your butt off and go get it. You know, nothing's going to be handed to you. But whatever you do, you're going to do 110%. You're not going to quit. And, you know, life is several failures and setbacks. And you have to learn how to adjust and handle adversity and not let it keep you down. You know, respond to it. Get up and go get it.
0: Jason, were you a baseball player growing up yourself?
7: No, sir. I, I well I played a little bit little league, very little and then I went on to play high school football, but that's where it stopped for me. I was my kids are so much better athletes than I am. They played multiple sports. Like I said, they played football in the fall, then basketball, then baseball in the spring, and then they would even run tracks along with baseball and even do powerlifting. So they they were highly, highly gifted athletes and just busy. My my lord, we were busy driving all over several states in the country.
0: Well you hear about you know, how much parents have to sacrifice so their children can, can play sports. And especially at that level, the games, the practices, just, just the commitment. So again, I really applaud both you and Sherry for, for all of your sacrifices and your hard work and, and ensuring that, that your son and, and your other children as well are, are successful. And Jason, I'm interested to know, uh, the folks back there in, in Tahlequah. Um, you know, Ryan's been a, a major league player now for a few years and, um, What's the mood there what, what 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 do folks think of of him there in Tahlequah a Cherokee nation tribal member He went to Sequoia Indian High School right there in the community He's a local boy who made it to the big time uh, does he get a lot of support from from the folks there in Tahlequah
7: almost oh, definitely I think they're even having a watch party tonight so maybe a couple of them there in town and um, you know, there's kind of a network, you know, with social media, everyone kind of puts out there, you know, hey, he's pitching, you know, flip it over, and, you know, that's so the hard part when you're a reliever, you never know when he's coming in, so it's hard to watch all the games, but, you know, people let everybody know, and it's, they're behind him, like I said, they're all, you know, they're proud of him as well, you know, they're like, yeah, I know that kid, we, you know, we went floating on the river with him, or we used to play, you know, Little League with him, or, you know, we had whatever you know they just they can associate with him because you know he's he is who he is he's just a down-to-earth kid you know and he just enjoys you know being on the MLB but also when he gets back home likes to hunt and fish you know and guys he grew up went to high school with you know they all get together and it's like nothing's really changed like I said they are extremely proud of him and you know a lot of people from our area do make the six hour or so drive up there to watch him when they can and hope that he gets to pitch. And it's just, it's just truly amazing. And we're truly blessed to have the support of our community and the Cherokee Nation and town of Tahlequah everybody that just supports him so much.
0: Well, that's wonderful that he's playing there in in St. Louis, as you say, and it's not that far as opposed to if he was playing up on the East Coast somewhere or or out West. So he is within driving distance and Cherokee Nation people can go and and watch one of their people play in in a game. That's that's really great to know. And I also know that you folks are are, are very involved uh, with the Cherokee culture. And as I understand it, Ryan, he. volunteers at the Cherokee immersion school. So that's another big part of your lives. Can you talk about that?
7: Yeah, he in the past he during off season he would get with my aunt and work at the Cherokee Immersion and, you know, he would just go help, you know, with the kids and just, you know, show them that, you know, you don't have to go to a big school, you know, a big city school. You don't have to go to a major, major college, you know, Stanford, Florida, OU. You can come from a rural school and then go to a smaller 2A, 3A high school and go to a smaller college. And, you know, like I said, if you're blessed with the talent and you've got a good work ethic and you've got a good family support, then you can make it. You can go do your dreams. You don't have to stay in Tahlequah and just work there. If you want to set your goals high and go be a world traveler for a company or you know a sports team I mean you can do it he's he has shown you know that you can do it living in that small rural type setting and and achieve your goals
0: Jason how old was, uh, was Jason excuse me how old was Ryan when Major League Scouts started started coming and watching his games
7: it was Probably after his freshman year of college, he had went out and played, actually come out here into Santa Barbara and played in the Summer Collegiate League and had a pretty good uh, showing out here and got noticed. And then that fall of his sophomore year, scouts started showing up, and then when the game started that next spring, they were at every game, and it literally took off like wildfire. And before we knew it, they were like, hey, he's going to get drafted.
1: and We were like,
7: are you serious? And they're like, no, for real, he's going to get drafted. And we're like, okay. You know, and then he got drafted. And you kind of get in the minor leagues, which, you know, you're excited. And it's like, well, okay, we're in the minor leagues. You know, and there's five or six levels you have to go through. And he's working his way through. And he gets to double A. And they start talking about him potentially coming up. And then he gets to triple A Memphis. And then there's some legit talk. And. Well, you know what, you get a phone call one night at midnight and which is never good cause it scares you to death. And he's like, Hey dad, I got the call. And I'm like, the call for what? I'm like, it's midnight. What's wrong, son? He said, no dad, I got the call. He said, they're calling me up to the big leagues. He said, I'm going to Milwaukee tomorrow. And <laughs> you know, yeah. Then we're like blown away. We're like, Oh dear Lord, we've got to hurry up, figure out how to get to Milwaukee right now. So <laughs> luckily. We scattered around, figured out, okay, drive, fly, whatever. Luckily, we got some flights, got up there in time, and got to see his Major League debut in Milwaukee. So it was was a whirlwind, but it was truly, truly an amazing time. And just, like I said, just blessed and honored to be his dad and just get to enjoy the ride.
0: Well, you hear stories about, working your way up through the minor leagues and, and it's not a glamorous game at that level. Um, you hear about four, four players sharing an apartment and they're, they're eating uh food from the concession stand for supper and things like that. So do, is, is, is Ryan just enjoying now being a big leaguer and just all of the, the perks and, and the celebrity status and just everything is just so, you know, first class at that level, it must just be amazing for him.
7: Yeah, it is, you know, he, you know. I asked him, I was like, okay, son, is it kind of like Bull Durham? He was like, yeah, you know, some parts of it is, you know, because it's bus rides and, you know, just, you know, staying in places that, you know, it, like you said, it's not to where he stays at now. And like you said, he truly does enjoy the level of, I guess, the way they get taken care of here at the MLB level versus, you know, single A or double A or even, you know, triple A. So it's, He enjoys it. And, you know, like I told him that night in Milwaukee, you know, you know, I'm proud of you, son. You've got here. I said, but now how hard you have worked to get here. You have got to work harder to stay here. Mm -hmm. And he has truly done that.
0: Well, I want to ask you one more question, Jason. We've got some other guests on the show, but uh, the Atlanta Braves in the tomahawk chops gotten a lot of attention and a lot of folks in Indian country don't appreciate that. And uh Ryan has spoken publicly about how, what he feels is a disrespectful game day antic. And as a as a native athlete, a Cherokee Nation uh tribal member, he's a pretty powerful voice in, in that discussion. Is that something that that he's really committed to and advocating for?
7: Yes. And, you know, like I said, he, the question was posed to him and I thought he answered it in a very eloquent, educated way and just pointed out, you know, that this is 2020, 2022, you know, and it's time to rethink some things that were, you know, in past that were considered acceptable. And I think we really need to sit back and reevaluate what is actually acceptable and you know, have some open discussion with people and sit down and talk and, you know, do we really need to continue this? Is there something we need to change?
0: Well, Jason, thank you again for for coming on the show today and, and taking time. I know you folks are headed to the big game this evening. So we're all going to be watching here at Native America Calling, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are as well, watching Ryan Hensley, Hensley tonight. He's playing in the Major League Baseball All-Star Game there in Los Angeles, California. Joining us now from Sapulpa, Oklahoma, we have Kaylin Bearpaw. She's a sophomore right fielder for the University of Tulsa, and she's on the American Athletic Conference All Rookie Team. She's Uchi in Muskogee Creek. Kaylin, welcome to Native America Calling, and congratulations for making the uh, AAC All Star Rookie Team.
3: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: You bet, Kaylin. How long have you been playing softball? Um,
2: I've
3: been playing for. Thirteen years now. Uh, I started when I was like four. Um, I started playing t ball with the boys. Me and my cousin were the only girls on the team. That I think our first team was uh, called Braves. So um, you don't really know much at that age. You're just really getting into the game. I uh, think once I turned or seven, I started to really
0: get into the game of softball. Well I'm I'm noticing a trend here, Kaelin. We heard Brandon say he started playing ball at about two or three years of age and Ryan apparently started really young as well and, and you were playing as early as four years old out there at T ball. And when did you realize um that that this was serious and you wanted to to take your skill level in softball as far as you can go?
2: Um,
3: Well, in high school, I didn't really take my freshman and sophomore year serious. So going into my junior year, I really had to step it up because I knew I could go somewhere. Um, I wanted to make it to the highest level. I think that's every little girl's dream is to play at the highest level. Um, But yeah, my freshman and sophomore year in high school, I... I wasn't doing great in the classroom, so I, once I really noticed that I could go somewhere, I had to really step it up. So,
0: yeah. Now you play right field, and, and that's a tough position because you've got to be able to make that throw all the way to third base. Did you did you just have a naturally strong arm for that position?
3: Uh, Yeah, well, I mean, I played center field for like nine years, so just move it over to the right side. It's a, what other it's
0: position? A Is it a change? Yeah. yeah. What other positions do you like to play?
3: I like to play in. I played shortstop for a few years, or actually all four years of my high school career, um, third base as well. I think this year I'll get a little playing time at first base, so we'll just see how it goes.
0: And how about batting? You Pretty comfortable there at the plate.
3: Yeah. So beginning of my freshman year this year, I wasn't playing like myself. I just, you know, getting into the, getting into the highest level. It's a little nerve wracking. So I just had to tell myself to relax and play like Kai. Play, and I think once I mid. Mid-season, I got really comfortable. I found my swing, and that's how I got selected as All-Rookie because I changed it around to mid-season.
0: We're talking now with Kaylin Bearpaw, and she is a sophomore right fielder for the University of Tulsa. Just made the all-rookie team there for her athletic conference. And we're gonna talk more with Kalen and learn about how she gets focused and how she prepares for games, and a little bit more about other native kids there in Oklahoma playing softball, playing baseball and and what motivates them. Listeners, give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. We've got plenty of time and we certainly wanna hear from our listeners. If you got any questions for any of our players on the show, Please give us a holler. 1-800-996-2848. We'll be right back. Support for this
4: program provided by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, the collective spirit and unifying voice of 37 tribal colleges and universities. For over 45 years, AHEC has worked to ensure that tribal sovereignty is recognized and respected and that tribal colleges and universities are included in this nation's higher education system. Information on a tribal college or university near
0: you at AIHEC.org. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Who's your favorite native baseball player or softball player? We're getting ready for the MLB All-Star Game tonight, and we're hearing about what baseball and softball means for Native athletes. Call us with any fresh takes on baseball or softball, one eight hundred nine 996 We're speaking now with Kaelin Bearpaw. She's a Yuchi in Muskogee Creek all-rookie softball player at the University of Tulsa. And Kaylin, baseball is very much of a mental game like so many sports. What do you do to help yourself stay focused stay relaxed just be be on your on your best for game day
3: um well, you know it's just game of failure um you have to really be confident in yourself you gotta tell yourself that it's okay if you don't get a hit or if you make a mistake you gotta make up for it. It's just really a mindset um You have to go in with a clear mindset, uh, focus on just the game. Um, It's just really how you approach it. Just relax, stay confident, believe in yourself. It's just all about your mindset, how you go into the game.
0: Kalen, growing up there in Sapulpa, were there a lot of other Native kids playing softball and baseball?
3: Not not as many, but um, my brothers, they played football, wrestled. Um, I know I have a few cousins that played softball. It's just not really, not very many from Sepulpa, Oklahoma. Um, I actually have six brothers, and I'm the only girl, so there is no giving up for me.
0: <laughs> I'll bet. Yeah, you have to to earn your keep there. And off the diamond, um, can you look to softball as something that's taught you other life skills that extend beyond the field?
3: Um, yes. It's just taught me to be strong, um, and really just confidence. Confidence is a big key in softball, and outside of softball, it's a big key. You know, every little. Every little girl's dream is to play at the highest level. Um, You see all these girls playing in the Women's College World Series, and you're like, man, I wanna play there one day. And just being able to compete for that now, for that chance now is just surreal. Um, I couldn't be here without my family's help. Um, It's just been a dream and words can't explain how thankful I am for these opportunities. hmm. A lot of. Well,
0: Kaylin, uh, I'm sorry, I just want to ask you. So we're talking earlier about Major League Baseball and and that's the pinnacle of baseball. But softball, what is the ultimate goal? You mentioned College World Series. I know softball is an Olympic sport. What is the highest level of, of softball that you could possibly play? Um,
3: There's professional softball, there's WPS and then there's uh AU softball, there's two different leagues. So WPF is like U Triple S A Pride and Vipers, I think. And then for AU there's they have different teams uh, to play against each other.
0: Well Kaylin, we wish you all the all the best of success moving forward and, and hope you accomplish all of your dreams and all of your goals that you've set for yourself there on the softball diamond. Good luck to you.
1: Thank Let's you. Let's talk Thanks a little having- bit. Of-
0: yeah, absolutely, Kalen. I hope to have you back on the show again later when, when you win some more awards and, and maybe you're playing at that next level. So, so thanks again. Let, let's talk a little baseball history now. Joining us from Durango, Colorado is Kurt Brown. He's a columnist for the Minneapolis Star Tribune. Kurt, welcome to Native America Calling. Oops, I don't know if we got Kurt there. It looks like we might have lost him. Well, I want to go back and ask Brandon. Uh, He's uh, another ball player that's on the show. Uh, Brandon, when you first started playing baseball and listening to Kalen, and she's talking about other Native kids that might have played, were there other Native kids there in in Colorado that you played with growing up?
5: Uh, So unfortunately, no. Uh, My experience... Uh, just growing up in a big city uh, like the Denver metro area, um, it was a situation where I couldn't really uh, relate to a lot of other students and athletes uh, that I grew up with uh, playing in like little leagues and uh, competitive leagues uh, about my Native American culture just because um, it was so rare uh, to meet uh, other Native athletes. Uh, However, when I got to the high school level, um, my head coach, uh, Garen Estes, got a, him and his uh, younger, his oldest son, uh, Hayden Nestis, who was also my age, uh, grew up uh, in the California area. And I want to believe uh, they were uh, a part of uh, the Sequoia tribe, uh, I want to say uh, was the name of their tribe that they were associated with. So nice to have a student was in high school uh, and a, a teammate uh, that had a Native American back. it was something that we could relate to and talk about um, and just kind of uh, talk like talk about our various experiences as athletes and how we wanted to give back to the Native American community or at least learn more about our uh, culture cultural heritage um, as young uh, Native American athletes.
0: Well, that's great to hear that you you found uh, another native player there at that next level. You were able to uh, to play, play along with and 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 grow with the sport together. That's that's a wonderful story there, Brandon. And I think we've got Kurt back. Kurt, are you there? I am, Sean. Thanks for uh,
6: including in this interesting program today.
0: Absolutely, Kurt. And, and like I mentioned, we want to talk a little bit about baseball history. And, and earlier in the show, we talked about Charles Bender, who, like a lot of Native athletes, was nicknamed Chief. Uh, how did Chief Bender stack up his talent for his era?
6: It's interesting. You know, in Minnesota, people are pretty excited with the All-Star Game. Byron then um, is starting for the American League. and But I think if you ask most Minnesota baseball fans, you know, who's the... You know, the first Hall of Famers from Minnesota, you'd hear probably Kirby Puckett or Harmon Killebrew or Tony Alistair, Jim Cotter. this year, and Dave Winfield and Paul Molitor and Jack Morris are all from South Paul. But Charles Albert Bender, born in 1884, was the first Minnesota-born guy to make it to the Hall of Fame. And just his career a little bit was statistics. We're we're going way back to the 1900s. Um, but from 1909 to 1914, he won at least 17 games, seasons in a row. Um, in 1910, he was 23-5, with career-best 1.58 earned run average. through a no-hitter that season, and he won the first game of the World Series. That was just one of three World Series championships he helped uh, the Philadelphia Athletics win in just a four-year span. So he was pretty dominant player. Player back in the early 1900s,
0: and where where in Minnesota was uh, Charles Bender from? He grew up
6: um, as the son of a German American father and an Ojibwe mother. He was born near Brainerd, about 20 miles east of Brainerd in northern Minnesota, and uh, spent most of his childhood on the White Earth Reservation up in Ojibwe country um, before, you know the glories he had, it's kind of a sad story because he was just seven years old when uh, he was sent on a train to Philadelphia to go to a a boarding school there, the Carlisle Indian Industrial School, they called it. Of course, much of his identity was was stripped away, um, those East Coast white-run boarding schools.
0: Mm. Well, a, a writer by the name of Tom Swift wrote a book about Bender, and it's titled Chief Bender's Burden. What exactly does that refer to?
6: I highly recommend this book for any baseball fans out there. It's a great summary, but as I say, it's it's a little bit bittersweet. And I'll give you a little quote from Swift. He wrote this book in 2008. And he said, quote, There's a limit to how long a man can carry the burden of race on his shoulders. uh, The institution and the mores of the day, white-created and controlled, had forced Charles Bender to straddle a blunt. He knew two different worlds, but he didn't seem comfortable either one of them. You know, you mentioned his chief nickname, which he never was a big fan of. And he was quoted in 1905 saying, I don't want my name to be presented to the public as an Indian, but as a pitcher. So, you know, he kind of had a foot in two different worlds. And like the author Tom Swift, who wrote a remarkable, book, um, he was really comfortable in neither one of those worlds.
0: Well, You know, earlier we talked about baseball franchises being criticized for for the use of of mascots and and native imagery, but it sounds like Bender put up with with far worse than that and and what he had to endure as a a native player in those early, early years of Major League Baseball, and he is now in the Hall of Fame. And and beyond that, what is Charles Bender's legacy?
7: Well,
6: you know, I think. Connie Mack, who's kind of a famous name in baseball, was his manager for years with the Philadelphia Athletics. He once said that uh, Charles Bender was the coolest player he'd ever seen. And uh, when asked about that, Bender said, "Uh, Mr. Mack thought I was the coolest player he ever had. Cool. Well, on the outside maybe, but I was burning up inside. On the inside, he said, I was nervous just like anyone else. Maybe twice as nervous, but I couldn't let it out because Indians can't. You know, when you look at the old newspaper accounts, which are easy to find now thanks to digital technology, you know, he was, you know, of course, often called chief in 1911 in the World Series when the A's won, he was called a child of the forest. And when he died Mm -hmm. in 1954 from prostate cancer at age 70, the sporting news headline proclaimed that he was answering answers the call to the happy hunting ground. So, you know, he never really did get that goal to just be viewed as a pitcher. You know, he was always put in that kind of white filter of a, of an Indian pitcher.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, and sadly, that was the experience of of so many Native people from that era. And another Native person from that era that I just can't help but think about was was Jim Thorpe. And of course, he recently made news with the International Olympic Committee finally acknowledging him as the sole gold medal winner in those events that that he won in the 1912 Olympics. And Interesting, in addition to track and field and, and football, Thorpe was also a Major League Baseball player. And, and was he as good at baseball as he was at all those other sports?
6: Well, he he was truly one of those well-rounded athletes. I think today kids get so specialized in one sport and they'll play it 12 months a year. I think you see a lot of injuries, like one of your guests earlier was talking about Tommy John surgery. I think athletes like Jim Thorpe and others played different sports and kept them healthy. You know, there's a lot of crossover too. Bender, when he went out to the Carlisle School, the the white boarding school, his coach was a guy named Pop Warner, who of course is kind of a famous name in football, but he was the baseball coach there and kind of helped get him into the major leagues. It's worth pointing out too, Sean, that maybe Bender's best ad- attribute was his smarts. Uh, he was six foot two, so he was a big guy, um, but there was an umpire back. Uh, back in those early 1900s, named Billy Evans. And in his book, he said about Bender that he takes advantage of every weakness. And once a player shows him a weak spot, he is marked for life. Um, (laughs) And even Connie Mack, who I mentioned before, the great manager, he said that Bender wasn't the greatest pitcher of all time, but if he had one game that he needed to put someone on the mound, he said, quote, if I had a pennant or a world's championship hinging on the outcome of the game,
0: Bender on the mound. Wow! Now Bender, did he face off against some of those legendary players like Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig? Were they all part of that same era? He was a little
6: bit before that era, and it's kind of amazing. One one little anecdote about his career: by 1918, he was in his 30s, and kind of his best days were behind him. But the New York Yankees paid a waiver fee to try to get him to come back. But remember, 1918, America had just entered World War I. Um, we had that whole flu pandemic um, back then. And uh, Bender said no thanks to the Yankees. He, he said he'd skip that, and he went to work in a shipyard in Philadelphia. And he said baseball is a secondary consideration with me, and while I realize the fellows who are doing their bit for the war need amusement, I also realize we need ships and all the men we can get to build them. So hard to imagine in today's, you know, culture of superstars and million dollar baseball players. that here was a guy who said, no, thanks. I'm not going to pitch for the Yankees. I'll go make ships to help the war effort. That kind of, <laughs> I think, reflects a different type and kind of personality a
0: little bit. Well, I'm interested to know in that era, what, what was a typical Major League Baseball salary?
6: Yeah, I'm not even sure, but it was—it wasn't much. Most of those guys would have winter jobs, loading trucks and or working, you know, f- for breweries or something. That you know, it wasn't enough. It was kind of almost a part-time job, even for the great ones like uh, Charles Bender.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, the the sport was just still in its infancy, and what we think of today, and anybody who's going to watch that Major League All-Star game this evening and watching ryan helsley play and you're going to see the lights you're going to see the film crews you're going to see the crowds and but we all have folks like charles bender and those other early baseball players who paved the way for what we now know is major league baseball and uh, the legacy that they helped build it's just fascinating to learn more about and of course softball too right in there Another great game that incorporates a a baseball field or a diamond and a bat and a ball. And we've just talked with a a lot of different interesting folks today and, and learning more about professional baseball, learning more about college softball, learning about native athletes who have excelled at those games in the past and are excelling still today and playing at the highest levels, the highest levels. And we're all very, very proud and, and really looking forward to to watching them as they continue to play and grow and evolve. Well, sports fans, we do unfortunately have to wrap up our show now. So big thanks to our guests, Jason and Sherry Helsley, Kalen Bearpaw, Kurt Brown, and Brandon Bailey. We appreciate y'all joining us today to talk a little baseball and softball native style. Join us again live tomorrow when we're continuing our look back at the decades from a native viewpoint. We'll be talking about the 1980s parachute pants, new wave music, and what the Reagan decade meant to Native people. I'm Sean Spruce. Thanks for listening to Native America Calling.
3: My name is Assad. When I was 19, my mom was diagnosed with colorectal cancer because she smoked. My tip is find things to be thankful for. I'm thankful she quit smoking. I'm thankful for the nurses who taught me how to check her IV and to manage her medication.
0: And I'm thankful for every day we have together, because nothing is guaranteed, especially for us. The people you love are worth quitting for. You can quit. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention.
2: First baby, don't know where to start? CMS program coverage prenatal service. Enroll today. Contact your local Indian health care provider for more information. Visit healthcare.gov or call 1-800-318-2596. A message from Center for Medicare and Medicaid Service.